Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Hey, would you turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 15? I want to continue the series this morning on distractions. Last week, we talked about how Saul, his name meant asked for. He should have been the answer for prayer. He, he, was, he was someone asked for. You are someone's answer to prayer. But he was distracted. First off, before he even becomes king, he's, he's out chasing donkeys. We had some fun with that. But let me just remind you this morning, if you didn't hear that message, you need to get online, you need to listen to it. Because I'm, I'm here to tell you, the devil wants nothing more than to get you to major in the minors. He wants you, he wants you to sweat over the, over the petty stuff. I think somebody, I think with George Carlin or somebody said, don't sweat the small stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. Yeah, yeah, so we got that out of the way. But he wants, you to get, he wants you to get all up in an uproar over the tiniest little things. And if you become distracted and diverted, you'll miss the destination and the destiny that God has for your life. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill, you know? So he's chasing donkeys, and then what else do we find? He's hiding among some baggage. He's hiding among this luggage. And we talked about how we can get so wrapped up in emotional things, but also in things. How your life probably has so many things that it's probably keeping you from being the person of freedom that you can walk in and do whatever God calls you to do. Right? And then I, and then I really offended you a little bit and talked about all the junk in your house. and You were mad. I've seen your faces. But it's all gone now, right? You gave it all the way. Yay. <laughs> this morning we're going to talk about a, another aspect of distraction in Saul's life, and it's simply this. He was distracted by desire. And, and, and if I could give you a, a train of words here for your notes, maybe you'd want to write them down, okay? It's simply this. Direction. Everybody say direction. Direction. Destination. Then desire. Desire's the caboose, not the locomotive. Direction comes first. Not desire. Now, I'm not here to tell you to eradicate desire. I'm not a Buddhist. You understand? In our religion, we understand that in our faith in Christ, Christ had desire, did he not? But what was his prayer? Even so, Father, thy will be done. You first. So, so direction, then destination, then desire. If you get desire first, you'll make the wrong decisions. If you put desire first, you'll get yourself out of whack. And you'll end up in places you really don't want to be. How many of you know that where you're at today is a sum total of the decisions you have made over the last five years? I want you to get this. You're not here today on accident. Nothing just happens. There is no happenstance. You're where you're at today because you made a sum total of decisions that led up to this moment. So don't be surprised by it. Don't stand in the middle of massive debt and say, how did I get here? Don't stand in the middle of a weight problem and say, how did I get here? Don't stand in the middle of a bad relationship and say, how did I get here? You got yourself there. 
by tiny little decisions that you made over time. Desire came first. Can I talk to you about delayed gratification? This is tough for Americans. It's tough for me. Because I liked it. When I, I raised my kids, I raised my kids like Uncle Buck. You know what I'm talking about right now? You, you remember Uncle Buck? I'm not kidding you. We'd, it'd be 9 o'clock at night. And I'm like, hey, kids, want some pancakes? My wife would tell you, I ain't lying. They're like, yeah, we want pancakes. And I'd go in the kitchen, and I'd make the biggest pancakes. You'd have to get a snow shovel out, just like Uncle Buck, and, and scrape those. I made them huge, you know? Then we'd go, and we'd sit back in the living room. We'd watch whatever we're watching, and we'd try to eat those pancakes. There was a desire before that had an emotion or feeling to it. But then after we ate those pancakes, there was a different emotion. There was a different feeling. And there's always a disconnect between how I feel before and the bad choice I made and then how I feel afterwards. You ever eat something and just say, why did I eat that? What, what was I thinking? That applies to finances. That applies to family. That applies to faith. That applies to fitness. That applies to every aspect of your life. Researchers have studied the brain, and this is what they know about the brain. That there is a part of your brain that decides before the cognitive, rational part of your brain even realizes it. That's why it's so important that before you make a major decision, that you sleep on it. And even more important than that, that you pray on it. Listen, prayer, listen, prayer is not your spare tire. It's your steering wheel. You don't, you don't pray for God to bless what you do. You pray to God so that you'll do what he's already blessed. Somebody wrote that down. Maybe you'll get that on the way home. Hear me this morning. It's almost like we get in the midst of something, we make a decision based on desire, then when the outcome is there, we go, well, that, that was stupid. Who did this to me? It's like the whole world is conspiring to wreck your life. When the reality is, someone decided. And that someone was you. And we want to pass off the blame. We want to put it somewhere else. But the reality is this. You put desire first. Instead of direction from the Lord. Can you say amen this morning? Uh, when I was a kid, I used to... Uh, just another example of this, because what desire messes with us. When I was a kid, I used to go out on the playground, and I used to have these little origami fortune teller things. Anybody remember those? Are you old enough to know what I'm talking about? Now, if you're under 30, you don't have a clue, but because you're like, origami, what's that even? Is that ja Yeah, it's Japanese, I guess. But you get out on the playground, and you go, and you pick a color, and you'd be, shin, 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 right? You remember this? Come on. Do it with me. Come on. Shin, 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 shin. All right. Somebody spit on the people in front of you. That's okay. And you'd make a decision. And then at the end, it would, it would, you'd open it up, and the last one you picked, well, then that's the answer to your question. The only problem was is you'd keep doing it until you got the answer you wanted. I'll give you another one. The eight ball. You, ever sh you remember the eight ball? You shake that baby. You know, forget this. She loves me. She loves me not. She, I got an eight ball. So we'd shake up the eight ball, and this little triangle would bounce around inside this eight ball, and then it would come around and it'd say, you're stupid, you know, for even asking. And what would you do? You would, you would shake that thing until you got the answer you wanted. 
You're not seeking truth. You're not seeking direction. You're looking for people to confirm and affirm what you want to do by desire. You're not. In the Constitution, it tells us this. This is great. You know, we live in an awesome country. I love it. I'm a patriot. I love my country. But it says this, that we have this inalienable right, inalienable right for the pursuit of what? Happiness. Happiness. What else, though? Life and liberty. Here's the problem. When you pursue happiness first, you inevitably give up your life and liberty. Happiness needs to be at the end of the train. Who am I preaching to today? Me. Preaching to you, Bill. The greatest distractor in Saul's life was desire. He could not put desire at the end of the train. He was always placing it first. He couldn't wait. His probably his first greatest failure was when they were going off to war. Samuel was supposed to give the sacrifice, and if you remember the story, they waited about seven days, and all the guys are starting to get upset. They think they're going to lose because they don't know where Samuel is yet. How many of you know that waiting is what God wants you to do? Yeah, because waiting changes you in the process. God has more, God has more in store here for your life than just uh, giving you a victory. He wants to change you in the process. He wants to build your character. And so in the process, he, they're all waiting for Samuel to come do the sacrifice. Samuel's like seven days late. So Saul says, well, I got to do something. I got to do something. And he goes and gives, offers the sacrifice. Wrong. Wrong. Samuel fi- finally shows up and says, what are you doing? What are you doing, salty Saul? That, that's, my, that's my job. You just messed yourself, and you messed everybody else. You got, you got ahead of the game. You were supposed to wait. We see the same thing in the, in the text of what we're about to read right now. Uh, let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listened, listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they uh, waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and what? Totally destroy. Now before you start playing a violin for the Amalekites, before you, listen, before you start getting on the justice train, and say, how can a good God want to totally destroy a people? Doesn't that sound like it's genocidal? I'm going to lead you to a place where two historical moments later, the Amalekites want to destroy all of Israel. Don't you think you serve a God that knows the future? You and I don't. So you obey Him in the now, and you trust Him in the now. You don't worry about tomorrow. He said to do it, do it. So he says, you've got you to totally destroy them. And all that belongs to them, don't spare them. Put to death the men, the women, the children, the infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. That sounds harsh. That sounds crazy. But stay with me, pray. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, help us to understand that you know that every decision has a destination. And that, God, if we get off on desire, we'll be off tracks. And that our decisions may lead us to places we never intended to be. 
We need Your help, Lord. We need Your light that is a lamp unto our feet. We need You to speak to us, God. God, I pray that this morning we would begin to pray in such a way that we seek direction, not confirmation for what we want to do, but for what You want us to do. We will obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you something heavy about direction. And I want to just, if you don't get anything else from this message this morning, I want you to be able to get this today. It's direction, not desire, that leads you to destinations. The good destinations, the good destiny that God has for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan. He has a destiny for you. But what will get you there is direction from Him, not desire. If you make a series of bad decisions, you will miss your destiny. Everyone in this room this morning needs to be going towards their destiny. There is no, cru- there is no cruise control. There is no autopilot. You must decide today. You must make a decision right now. Who are you going to serve? God says that, you know what? I've got curses and blessings. You choose. Both exist. It's your decision to follow His direction that will get you there. How many of you know that God is a rewarder? You understand this? Then you may know this, that if God's a rewarder, look at this, Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him, right? So if anybody comes to God, you come to God in prayer. Anybody comes to God, you must do two things. Number one, know that He is. Know that He is. When I pray, I'm like, you're real. I'm not talking to myself. I'm not talking to the wall. You're real. I know that you are. And then number two, know that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. I diligently seek your direction. Then I can go on to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any man lacks what? Wisdom, let him call upon the Lord who giveth liberally. Uh, one translation says without a variance of shadow. Another translation tells us simply this, that God doesn't look at our lives and say, well, there's something wrong, I won't give it to you. Simply this, you can come to God anytime you need direction, and He'll give it to you. Wow. Psalms 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a what? And a light unto my path. You ever drive a car at night? You know how this works, right? You don't do this. You don't do this. One time I was, I was riding with my wife, and we were, we were in a safe place, kind of. And I, t- I turned to her. I seen this on a movie. It was stupid. I was like 22. She's like, you ever do this again, I'm going to beat you down. Really dark outside, I turn off the headlights. Going about 30 miles an hour, and I said, you want to see something really scary? And I turn off the lights. She said, you turn those lights on, or I'm going to break your neck. No, she didn't say that. She said, turn the lights on. You're dead, dude. When you're driving at night, you turn the lights on. Do you know what's in front of you? No, you, so you turn the lights on. What happens when you need to know what's in front of you? You turn your lights on, but it gets easier. What happens when you need to know what's farther in front of you? Turn your brights on, right? That's not too bad. And then what happens when you need to know 
What's even farther? You move. Well, pastor, I prayed about it. And then I turned my brights on. I'm not seeing anything yet, pastor. Well, once your path lines up with your prayers and you're obedient to his direction, you got to move, sister. Amen. You, you got to move. Say, pastor, will you move for me? No, I can't. You're the one that's got to step out in faith. You're the one that's got to do the thing that God has called you to do. What did, what did God tell Saul to do? Get rid of these guys. It's bad news. The destiny of what's coming for you is not what you think. You're making decisions that are going to lead to death. How many of you know the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death? You ever, you ever go to the doctor's office and pick up one of those highlights magazines? Yeah. Those are a good time, man, especially when you're in, because I'm always nervous when I'm in the doctor's office anyway. But uh, when I was a kid, especially, I would pick up one of them. And they'd always have these things called connect the dots. They'd have a page or two, you connect the dots. Sometimes if you had a good teacher, you had a good teacher in kindergarten or first grade, they'd give you a little connect the dot page. And then you're, you got a little like spelling quiz on the other side. I never did the spelling quiz. And then they give you a little scratch and sniff up on it. Come on, you remember those? Oh, just scratch and sniff. I'd be like, grapes, you know? Didn't take a lot to entertain me. And uh, so what you do with the connect the dots is, is you, you, you start by the numbers. It's first this step, then this step, then this step. And before you know it, at the end of connecting all the dots, you get a picture. And this will, this will happen, you know, it's kind of like the law of sowing and reaping. This will happen for a good picture or a bad picture. Every picture that's in your life was a series of connections that you made over time that landed where you're at right now. I'll give you an example really quick. My wife, when, when, when we were just married, we were starting to have kids, she came to me, she, she had prayed about this, had fasted about it. And listen, after hearing this, don't think that I'm some kind of homeschool Nazi. Don't come up and talk to me. Hey, you know, you're really in a... I love our school systems. I think there's no better place to be if you, wanna, if you want your kids to reach other kids and you want to change this, the country, you know, you, you, wanna, you want your kids to go to school. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. But for us, we moved around a lot. We were in ministry. So my wife came and she says, honey, uh, the Lord says, we're, we're, you know, we're, I'm going to homeschool. And I'm like, oh, you are, you know, I, I, you know, I tried to help. I failed miserably, but I really tried. And people came along and said, you know, your kids are going to be antisocial. People came along and said, you, you're not hearing from God. Your kids are going to, your kids are going to be weird. They're not going to understand sports. They're not going to understand how to act in the community because they're just going to be sheltered and, and everything. That wasn't the case at all. Every one of my kids are at churches 20 times the size of mine and are leading at those churches. My son's at the largest church in the, in, in the whole, uh, what's it, Nazarene movement. Yeah, see, I'm AG. I forget all other movements. But he's at the largest, he's a, he's a children's pastor there. He's got more kids in his children's ministry than, I, than I've ever preached to in a service. My, my other daughter, she's communications pastor at a, a megachurch, 15,000. My other daughter, she's over in Japan serving the Lord and teaching. And these are kids that don't speak English, and she don't speak Japanese. Antisocial, 
heard direction. Obey direction. Don't get all up in desire and say, well, I've got to do what everybody else thinks I need to do. Because this will make me feel better, and this, uh, and everybody, I think I'm a better mom, or everybody, I think I'm. A, yeah, they tried that cloth diaper thing on us too. That was. <laughs> that lasted two days. But it, it was a, it was a fad. It was a thing going through the church because because everybody was thinking, you know. Now listen, we had a. I don't know where I'm going with this. We had a pastor's wife who was all el natural. And everything had to be cloth diapers. And she came over one day and said, hey, if, if you really want to do this the godly way, you've got to have cloth diapers. And after two days of smelling cloth diapers, I said, let's hear God. Can you hear God? Get your own direction. Saul couldn't do this. He was distracted by desire. He wanted to please people. He wanted to look good. He wanted to manage impressions. But the choices he made had destinies that weren't what he intended. How many of you have known people that, that have said, you know, I got a good heart. You know, my heart's filled with good intention. That's not going to get you anywhere. I know. You got a good heart. It's so good. Such a good heart. Goo-goo-ga-ga. You're such a good-hearted person. Hell will be filled with good-hearted people. You know that? Hell is paved with good intentions. You, do you understand that? Your Bible says the heart is deceptive. It's deceivingly wicked above all else. But I'm going to trust my good heart. I meant well. I never intended to become a drug addict. Do you think anybody raises their hand at seven and says, yeah, crystal meth is for me? Do you think anybody raises their hand and says, yeah, you know, supersize for the rest of my life. I'm going to live at McDonald's and Hardee's and I, I'm just going to destroy my health. Do you think anybody ever does that? No, here's what people do. I want to have a great time with my grandkids. I got a good heart. I got great intentions. But along the way, I'm going to destroy my health. I want to have a tremendous God-fearing family. But I'm going to date anybody that's cute. Oh, it's so very, very quiet. I'm going to have a wonderful marriage but I'm going to flirt with people at work. And I'm going to work all the overtime I can get because making money is what it's all about. Amen. I want my wife and my kids to respect me, but I'll never be home. I got a good heart. My intentions were good. How did I get here? What am I doing here? This isn't my fault. But there were decisions made that got you to that place. Why do we have so much debt? We got six credit cards, but I don't know how we got here. I've prayed about this. Yeah, but your listen, your path doesn't match your prayer. 
Your path has to be the same and has to line up with your prayers. And your prayers must be based on direction from God. Obey Him. Each act of obedience takes you closer and closer to blessing. It shortens the distance between where you are now and where the blessing of God is. Let me put it to you this way. Everybody that got something from God in the Bible received instructions first or directions first. And man wants to be healed. He's blind. Jesus takes some mud, spits in his hand with the mud, spins it around, puts it on his eyes, then tells him, here's some instructions. Go walk two miles. Because that's how far it was. Go walk two miles and wash your eyes. Was it, listen, listen, was it the walking that healed him? No, but the obedience is what released. How about the lepers? Now go show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were healed. It's not just praying. It's path. Think about Naaman in the Old Testament. Here comes Naaman. Uh, his name in Syrian or whatever means stud. means built. Awesome body. He's a brick house. All right. <laughs> That's all I can do for you. Mighty, mighty. All right, so he thinks he's all that bag of chips. He gets leprosy. He wants to be healed. How does he get healed? An instruction, obedience, direction. Go dip yourself in the Jordan River, which is dirty, muddy, causes humility within him, causes obedience within him. He gets to the Jordan River. This is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. Seventh time he comes up, this was smart. <laughs> this isn't preached because everybody wants the blue light special, the drive through Jesus. Everybody wants the fast food Jesus, the Burger King Jesus. Have it your way. That's what everybody wants. But you still have to obey. And Saul wouldn't do it. Actually, what happens at the end of the story, you know what happens. He leaves the king, Agag, alive. And Samuel has to come along and says, you know, you think you obeyed God, but you didn't. What's the bleeding of sheep in my ears? I can hear the cattle right now. And then it takes Samuel to pull out a sword and kill this king. And we look at this and we say, you know, he wasn't that far off. I mean, he went off the war, and he, he, he fought a little bit, and he did a little bit. And, and so, so he, just made a, he just made a mistake. So this is what we do with that. We just say, I'll just ask forgiveness. We do that, right? Are you still awake? I do. I ask forgiveness all the time. How many of you know that he will forgive you? But your path still has a destiny. You can't pray your way out of things you acted yourself into. He will forgive you. You will have eternity. You will have relationship. And you will also reap what you sow. There's going to be something you got to on this earth still face. 
Listen, I, I supervised offenders as a corrections officer for four years. Let me tell you something. They're all Christians. That every one of them got jailhouse Jesus. They got saved in there, man. And you don't understand. I'm a new person. I need to get out of here. No, you need, you need to pray yourself through, not out. I don't know. You, 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 want, some pre, you want the truth? This is the truth. This is, this is how it works. And Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do. So Samuel had to come along and do it because he was distracted by desire. He loved having those cattle. He loved having that king at his feet. Samuel had to come along and take his, his neck. See, your path has to match your prayers. Don't get mad if at the end of your praying, but you chose still the wrong path. Don't get mad at your pastor and God and the church and say it don't work. It works. You didn't. It, it does work. Listen to this, Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Proverbs 19, 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they get angry with God for it. Well, if you're God and all sovereign, why'd you let me get into this mess? It says the prudent see. They see ahead. They look ahead. Let me put it to you another way. You know that if you want to get to Dayton, you got to get on I-75? Did I pass the test? I'm Ohio now. So you got to get on I-75. I-75 north, right? But that's the way I want to go. I want to, I want to go north. No! No! I want to go north! <laughs> and we don't like Michigan, do we, Sarah? Not today. They didn't beat Notre Dame last night. I've got the desire to go north. My, I got a good heart. I got good intentions. And as I'm passing Toledo and about to drive my car right into the lake, my best impression of Browning. I'm angry at God. Because you know God, you know my heart. This is God, you know all along I wanted to do the right thing. I just want to do it my way. I'm just going to go my direction, okay? God, there's like 20 ways to get to you. It's not, it's not exclusive. It's not your son, Jesus Christ. It's every, everybody's way. Just as long as your heart's right. That is the lie of the century. The prudent see ahead. They pray. They allow God to give them direction. And they take his direction. You ever drive in New York? How about Chi-Town? Boy, that'll get you saved. You ever get lost in Chicago? I have. You can end up on the south side real quick. You know, there's a part of St. Louis you don't want to be in either. Been there. <laughs> there was a vacation movie where they're like, roll them up, you know? 
because they're going to take our hubcaps, and they did. <laughs> St. Louis, I ain't lying. Why? Because you, you didn't check directions. I just got, I'm just going to get in my car, and I'm just going to start driving. I got, I got a four-day trip, and I'm just, I'll get there. You know, that kind of hippie stuff that gets you killed. You, you, you. You're never going to see financial prosperity. You're never going to see prosperity and health in your family. You're never going to see fitness in your life. You're never going to see uh, the kind of faith you really want to live in by using that strategy. You have to understand that God wants you to great places. He's got a plan for you to be at great places. But if, if you've got that attitude of, I'm just going to get in the car and drive, cruise control, I'll get there somehow. You know, I'm just going to autopilot my way through life. That dog won't hunt. The end of the story. Let's get there. Let's get to the end of the story. Saul at the end of his life. We can even see this kind of laid out for us in the book of Chronicles. Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. It speaks of his death on Gelboa. He is now at war with the Philistines. Now get the picture here. I want, I want somebody, a good, Christian, a good Christian director, to do this as a film. I'm waiting for the really cool Christian movies. I mean the kind where there's like gladiator fights in them. Okay, just me. All right, whatever. But I, I, got, I got the things I like, and I want to see these. I want to see this as a movie. He's fighting the Philistines. He's there with his son, Jonathan. They are loading Saul full of arrows. His body is covered in arrows. You just can't kill this dude. I want to see that. I mean, I can just see him. He's just getting shot, 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 shot. He's down on his knees, and he, they just can't kill him. He even pulls out his own sword. Amen. I'm sorry if your kids are in here, but this is the Bible. And he goes to fall on his own sword. Can't do it. Can't kill this guy. Amen. Then this guy comes along, and Saul says to this man, he says, help me die. And the man that helps him die is an Amalekite. Didn't God say through Samuel, kill them all? Church, be careful what you leave alive in you. This won't hurt. It's just a little sinny. Little sinny. This won't. It's a little leaving. Forget the lump. I just, you know, just, you know it's okay. And I'll ask forgiveness. Yeah. He will forgive you. That path still has a destiny. You think we're done? Because, oh man, there's collateral. Say collateral. collateral. Damage. Damage. Before you go thinking this is just about you, Satan isn't that interested in you. He's interested in the legacy of your future. He's interested in your children, your children's children. That's why in the Bible we have all these promises. This promise is unto you and unto your children and unto your children's children and for as many that would call upon the name of the lord god wants Amen. to bless two and three generations out of your life so there is a collateral damage for you missing your destiny and it is your great-grandchildren 
When Saul dies, David comes to power, and when he comes to power, he says, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I can bless? We can't find anybody. Amen. They're all dead. Except for one. Mephibosheth. He's in Lodabar. Let, let, let me preach this. Mephibosheth. Dead dog. That's what it means. Lodabar means nowhere. Satan had wiped out his entire legacy. That's what's at stake here. Not you. Get over yourself. It ain't just about you. About your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. David says there's Mephibosheth. Bring him back to the king's table. I want to love on him. I want to bless him. Because what, what the devil tries to destroy, God always looks to redeem. <laughs> this is the heart of Jesus. No matter how many mistakes you've made in your life, God is always looking to redeem your kids and your family. And you, Amen. He won't fail even though we do. Am I done preaching? Can I have five more? I don't, I don't know, because I look at you sometimes and you're like, I'm ready for a hamburger. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of Jewish books called the Midrash, and they're extra biblical. So we're not going to go to the Midrash and say, this is the Word of God. But, but these, are, these, are, these are like expositors of Jewish uh, Scripture over time. And Tommy Tenney put out a book some time ago on the story of Esther. It was called One Night with the King. You remember it was, a, it was a movie, too. Now I got you. You've seen the movie. Good. One Night with the King. And it, from the Midrash, there is this story about Saul, who in, this is 1400 B.C., made this mistake, left some of the Amalekites alive, left Agag alive. Samuel had to take him out. Right? And then... And then in 400-something B.C., the Jewish people are in the diaspora. They're in exile under the Persians. Stay with me. Book of Esther. We're going to fast forward to the book of Esther. Ready? So here we are. We've got Mordecai. He doesn't give Haman the honor and the worship that Haman wants. Stay with my story here. From the word. So then Haman says, I'm going to kill you all. Then Mordecai starts to work with his cousin, Esther, and says, hey, hey, darling, you need to get pretty. How many of you know pretty will, will go a long way? If you disagree, you're just a liar. I got an altar right here. Every man in this room knows that pretty will get you somewhere. Come on. Hello. You, are you breathing? All right, so, 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 so he says, you've got to get pretty because Xerxes is the king and he needs another wife. And you need to go in there and you were born for such a time as this. You were born for, this is why you're pretty. Pretty ain't for you. It's for the generations. It's for the nation. It's for our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids. She goes in and wins the heart of Xerxes. The end of the story is beautiful. Xerxes sends 
Uh, Vashinti, off. The other queen, off. Doesn't want anything to do with her. And then as it all turns around, Haman, now, some would say he is hung. Other translators would say he's impaled on a pole. The same place that Mordecai and all of the Jewish people were going to be killed, Haman is killed. How many of you know that what, what, the, what the devil forms against you will not prosper? And that God will take it and turn it right back around and use it on the enemy? That's what happens in the story. Who is Haman? He's an Agagite. Who was supposed to die with Saul? King Agag. I wonder if you're with me today. And in the Midrash, it says it was Saul's decision to leave him alive. I don't know, maybe he had time to go make a baby. He was left alive for a while. What are you, what are you leaving alive? You think that won't cost you? You think every one of these decisions over the long... Think of the end game. Don't think about right now. Think about where this will be. Make every decision in your life for the generations. Make them in light of your kids and your grandkids. Think about that before you do it and pray about it and say, how will this affect my grandkids? Now you're thinking godly. Because he self-declares, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a three-generation God. He blesses generationally. And he sends blessings, not to you, through you, for the little kids in your life. And you wonder why this pastor loves kids so much. I want a legacy. A legacy. I don't want want to be famous. I want Christ to be famous. And the way he does it is through the generations. Write these down. I'm not asking, I'm I'm directing. Number one, if you need direction, James 1.5, write that down. Get direction first, then decide. If any man lacks wisdom, James 1.5. Number two, if you need direction, wait and trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, come on church, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Ask. Trust. And lastly, move in the right honking direction, would you? Psalms 119. Thy word, come on church, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do not move unless it's direction from God's word. Would you stand with me in prayer? If, uh, I'm going to have my deacon close us in prayer here. Um, But as he does, I I would ask that right now you would think of your I I would ask that you would think of your children. If you don't have children, just know in the body of Christ, everyone does. In the family of God, everyone, everyone is called to be a father or a mother.
What? Maturity is mothership, fathership. Everyone in this room has a destiny connected with the generations. Don't be a Saul. Think about, those, think about the kids in your life. Think about your children. Think about the people that God has called you to make decisions for. You were prayed for. Someone asked for you. Don't be Saul. Follow the Spirit of God. Think about those kids as He leads us in prayer. God bless you.